We believe that God uses the Bible supernaturally to reorient our hearts towards truth, goodness, and beauty. As we read the scriptures today, our desire is that God's word would shape us and conform us into his image. Today, I'll be reading from the book of Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. After the scripture reading, I will proclaim, this is the word of the Lord. And I would invite you to respond prayerfully. Speak, Lord, your servants here. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Well, good morning, Taproot. So as I was uh, reading up this week on the coronavirus and thinking about this Sunday, I knew the Lord wanted me here because, well, he gave me something to say. But I thought, I better check out how careful I need to be because of the virus going around. So four things they recommend. You guys have seen this stuff, but reasons to stay home. One, you're sick. Okay, I got that. I'm not sick. I may sound a little congested, but that typically happens when I speak, and I sometimes cough a little bit, but I know I'm not sick. Number two, are you pregnant? (laughs) Didn't take a lot as thought, but no, I'm not. Number three, are you over 60? Okay, they got me on that one. Number four, do you have a weakened immune system? Okay, they got me on that one too. So I thought, okay, I just need to be very careful. So I go review my stock of hand sanitizer that I have at home. And you're looking at one of about three bottles I happen to have. So I thought, you know, it wouldn't hurt if I stocked up on this. And I thought, "Mm, I might not find this stuff in the store. So I go on Amazon. One place was selling it. This stuff normally goes, I don't know, a dollar or so a bottle. They wanted $25 for one of these. I thought, well, and they only sold them in packs of two, and there weren't very many left. I thought, okay, 50 bucks. I'm going to take my chances at the store. So I go down here to one of the large stores that has this stuff and go back to the display where, you know, they sell hand sanitizers and find it. And there's a little sign there that says, limit five per customer. And the shelves are empty. Okay, so I'm not going to get my five there. I thought, okay, I'll go to another store. Just kind of expecting the same thing. And sure enough, I found the same thing, a little sign. You know, sorry that we need to limit our, how many of these we sell. And the shelves are empty. So I found a clerk. Because, well, being an engineer, I just think this way. I thought, well... You can make this stuff with isopropyl alcohol and aloe vera lotion. And you'd look on the internet and find that. So I thought, okay, I'll just see if there's an opportunity there. So I went to the clerk and said, have you got any isopropyl alcohol or aloe vera? Nope. (laughs) Apparently there's people that think like me that got there before me. So I missed my opportunity. Now, that's normally the end of the story, but just imagine... For a moment, 
if the clerk had told me, well, you know, <clears throat> we had a big mess up with our ordering system, and two giant semi-trucks showed up with thousands of these things at our Federal Way store. And they're there. You can get them for the regular price. Well, what would I do? I'd probably drive down there and buy some. But you think about that. I know people that are pregnant. I know people that are over 60. I know people with compromised immune systems. What kind of friend would I be if I went and took advantage of what this store had in, in surplus and didn't tell anybody else about what I discovered? Right? If, if I had good news, you know, that there was thousands of these things available for people like myself, why wouldn't I share that good news? See, that's kind of where we're at with this passage. The... Um, uh, I, I, I love what Rebecca said this morning in the prayers of the people. You see, God is with us. His name is Emmanuel. And we need to let everybody know that. See, this is what in the church we call evangelism or sharing our faith or witnessing. See, the Lord always had a plan that everyone would know his love, would hear it. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give kind of, a, kind of a summary of how the Bible treats this from Genesis on. And then we'll get directly into the text. I'll talk about specifically what this passage is, is teaching in this area. If you think back to the Garden of Eden where God created the world, he created the garden as a place for humans to have an intimate relationship with him, to be in relationship with their creator. And that's the way it started out. And this was a place where they could, as we talked about several weeks ago, they could work, see God working to push back the chaos that's in the rest, that was on the rest of the world. But the garden was the place where God lived, and he lived with humans. Well, um, that didn't last very long, because, <clears throat> well, we as humanity decided we could grow and gain moral knowledge, moral knowledge on our own we could improve ourselves without his help. It was our decision to be independent. Well, this decision, we, in, in the church we call this the fall or the um, original sin. Uh, as a result of that decision, we became the chaos in the garden. It made us spiritually blind, so we could no longer actually physically see the Lord walking with us. It... Um, so we cannot see him now, and we can only hear him, uh, but even that is highly impaired. The fall brought death to this world, along with its suffering, brokenness, disease, like we're reading about in the newspaper, and pain. And it also got us expelled from uh, the garden. But the Lord didn't give up. He still wanted his creation to be in relationship with him. And he demonstrated this by selecting a little unknown tribe of people called the Hebrews in order to demonstrate his care for humanity through them. He wanted, he cared for them so the world, well, he cared for them so that they would bless the nations 
so that they would, be, would seek the good of the people that they were living among. In other words, this was how the rest of the world would see how the Lord loves his creation by observing his love for the Hebrew nation, which we also know as ancient Israel. Now, Israel became slaves in the nation of Egypt, so the Lord delivered them out of Egypt and took them to their own promised land, which is now in the, in the area of Palestine. During this time, what the Lord had them do was construct a special tent, a large tent built especially so that he could be present in that tent, so he could walk and be amidst, be among his people as they journeyed from Egypt all the way to Palestine. Now that temple was eventually, or that tabernacle as it's called, that portable mobile tent, was eventually replaced with a permanent building in Jerusalem known as the temple. And the temple then became the place where God lived among his people. It's also here that other nations could come to Jerusalem to see this God, to talk to him, to, to pray to him, to learn of him. During this time, if anybody wanted to be in relationship with this God, they would come and see, is the phrase I use. They would come and see at Jerusalem what he was like. And they could also see while they were there the design of the temple, which communicated about who the Lord was. They could see the Jewish laws. They could see the behavior, hopefully good behavior of the Jews, on how this God was in relationship with his people. And this, again, was the Lord pushing back this chaos in the world by demonstrating order and beauty with the temple and with his people. Now, you fast forward to the New Testament. When Jesus shows up, the plan gets a little bit more specific. Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord God was again visible. You could see this guy. You could touch him. You could hear him. You know, you could argue with him. I mean, it was just a marvelous time when you think about it. That God was again on earth walking amongst his people. Now he came to assume his rightful place as savior and king over the nation of Israel. However, um, just as humanity did back in the Garden of Eden, Israel rejected their savior. Jesus was arrested, tried, tortured, and executed. But you see, the Lord was so intent on having a relationship with his, with his creation that what he did is he placed all of our sin, all of our rebellion, all of our brokenness on Jesus as the representative of humanity. And so Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sin and reconciled us back to God so that we could again be in relationship with him. Now Jesus did die, but three days later he rose from the dead which proves that that payment worked, that our sins were paid for. This is what we call the gospel, or the good news. Now shortly after this, Jesus gathers his disciples, his followers, 
and he directs them to take this gospel to every nation on the earth. See, this is the same intent as before. It's just the plan is a little bit more expansive. God wants to be in relationship with his creation. He wants to be known by everyone. What's different now is that uh, God's Holy Spirit now lives in individual believers. Believers demonstrate the gospel in their lives. What was before in the Old Testament times, come and see what this God is like, is now go and tell. The church, the, the, the evangelism, which was in some ways passive in the Old Testament, is now active and intentional. See, the Lord put his Holy Spirit in believers so that the church is now the temple of God. It is the church where God lives in his, amongst his people. Now, God's home first was a garden, and then a tent, and then a building, and now a people. Specifically, a new race, a new ethnicity on the planet, the church. Now that his home is in people, the gospel is mobile and can be taken anywhere on the planet. Now I know culturally, when people use the word church, they usually refer to a building. Well, I was intimately involved in the, in the renovation of this space. I know what's below the floor, I know what's inside the walls, I know what's inside the roof, and the Holy Spirit's not there. He isn't. The church is people. The Holy Spirit is here now because the church is here now gathered together. It's evident when we sing. It's evident when we hear the scriptures read. It's evident when we hear the scriptures taught. It's evident when we take communion. And at 3 o'clock this afternoon when the building is empty, the Holy Spirit will have gone with the church out into the world. The church is people, not a building. So, the reason the Lord did this is so that this gospel could become mobile. And this is what we see over the last 2,000 years since the birth of the church. This is what we call, we use the phrase, churches planting other churches, or new churches. This is where an existing church grows, and at some point, we split the church and we start another new church. Which in turn, they grow and they start more new churches. Now, I don't mean to be, um, uh, make it lightly, but the church is really acting like a virus. The Lord's intention is a pandemic of grace around the world. And it's done person by person spreading. Very similar to what we see now with the, with the coronavirus. The churches grow by individuals, disciples, or followers of Jesus, making new disciples, equipping new disciples, and then sending new disciples. Another word for this growth is evangelism. Now you see this, you see the best example of this if you read the book of Acts in the New Testament. Because you see the process of churches starting to plant churches and the gospel spreading. And this process, the gospel was spread throughout the ancient Greek and Roman world. 
And again, it's, it's, it's like a virus. Now, the, the church at Colossae, which is the book we're in, was part of this, this spread. And the church itself, the Colossian church, someone had come to Colossae and had told people there about Jesus. The individuals began to, get, to, begin to follow the teachings of Jesus. They were organized into a local church. And then at some point, uh, Epaphras, who was the, the leader there, had talked about this, what was happening at Colossae to the Apostle Paul and to Timothy, and those two men got together and wrote this letter. And the purpose was, was to strengthen and encourage and equip that church with the truth of the gospel, which is why we're studying this book. The letter was meant to counter the assimilation pressures that the Colossian church felt from the culture around them. The letter explains who Jesus is in detail and how, it is to fo- how we follow his teachings in very practical ways. Now, the, the particular text we're in today is a point in the letter where things are summed up, where Paul now is um, um, he's giving a short summary to reiterate the m- most important features in the letter. And it's just done within a few verses. Last week, we talked about, uh, Luis talked about how Paul wants them to pray for the Apostle Paul, who is in prison, that he might have opportunities to share. Now, his audience is pretty limited, you know, some other, some other prisoners and the guards, but Paul is still looking for opportunities to share. Paul uses the term, the mystery of Christ, in verse 3 which is explained earlier in this letter as Christ living in the church. What we talked about earlier. The church is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the house where God lives among humans. The church is the new tabernacle or home for God. Us. Now the next phrase here, walk in in wisdom. What it's saying there is that our lives need to match our actions. Walk in wisdom is another way of reiterating what he said earlier, to put off sin, to put off the things of earth, and put on Christ. That's what's meant there, because the word for walking in the Greek, it's a common New Testament idiom for lifestyle, behavior, or manner of conduct. What others see in our behavior should match what we say with our, we believe with our lips. If we're going to talk about Jesus, we need to be living like Jesus. Otherwise, the message is discredited. But this is also a warning to the church to be watchful in their walk against the assimilation pressures that they feel from the culture around them. And the Colossians definitely face that, that pressure. See, our natural tendency as humans is to try to fit into the crowd that we are with. We naturally want acceptance, identity, and belonging from our communities. It's just it's a natural thing. Now, for example, in Seattle culture, people don't normally talk about their faith. Faith is a pri- considered a private matter, and many in Seattle keep their beliefs quiet or private. 
That's a cultural pressure we face. But where the culture is opposed to the gospel, we need to resist that pull that's by the culture. And let me be clear, I don't think most people in Seattle get up in the morning and say, I need to oppress the Christians in my, this area by, by making sure they don't talk about their faith. They don't think about us that much at all. Maybe some of them do. But this is just the natural way that, that, that the culture works in this area. And the, the pull that we feel is us. Point is, there are creative ways to get around the cultural resistance to hearing about Jesus. Now this next phrase, making the best use of the time, it means to buy it back. It means to redeem it. It means to seize every opportunity. See, every single encounter that a believer might have with a non-Christian is a divinely orchestrated appointment down to the detail where we can say something about Jesus. It's never by accident that you bump into somebody and start talking to them. It's never. I like this quote. I, I, I included it in one of the commentaries I found. The apostle, the apostle literally said, buying up the opportunity. This means, the sense would be, don't just sit there and wait for the opportunity to fall into your lap, but go after it. Yes, buy it. Buy up the entire stock of opportunity. See, the Lord wants everyone to hear the gospel. Again, come and see has been replaced with go and tell. How many times should you tell somebody? I personally had to hear the gospel presented to me formally three times before I got interested enough to respond to it when it was presented the fourth time. If somebody had given up on me when, I, when, when they first shared it with me, who knows what would have happened. Now the last part here, well, the last, well, next, next, next phrase, gracious speech. Think about this question. What is the story of God's grace in your life today? And is your story, if you talk about your story, is it explicit? See, gracious speech is much more than just being polite. Now, everybody should be polite. I'm not, but it's explicit speech about Jesus and about grace. It's using our speech to communicate the gospel to everyone. We need to learn to be great. We need to learn gracious ways. There are ungracious ways, to be sure, but we need to learn gracious ways to tell others that they need to repent and to believe in Jesus now. Why now? Well, think about it. After you're dead, there's no opportunity to repent. And nobody here, me and nobody else, nobody else, nobody here has a guarantee of tomorrow that you'll be here tomorrow. So that why, that's why there's urgency to this message. Um, Ephesians 2.8, you know, why do we share? For by grace you are saved. See, as Christians, we've all received and experienced God's grace. Let that grace be evident in the words that we use when we talk to people. We can always, you know, as a Christian, we can always use the story of how Jesus first saved us. We ought to be able to talk about that. And you can also, also talk about how Jesus is showing us grace even today. 
We've all experienced Christ's grace on our lives individually, even today, at this hour. See, question is, are we thankful for, for that we are even saved? Do we know what we've been saved from? As it was said last week, Thanksgiving is the bridge between theology and ethics. The theology is, God wants everybody to know. The ethics is, how do I talk to my, how do I talk to my coworkers, to my neighbors, to my friends? And the, the link is being thankful. Being thankful for what we have because we're believers. The next phrase, with salt, this is a metaphor for speech that both gives flavor and preserves. Now, back up a little bit. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus says Christians are the salt of the earth. Our presence in the culture is to bless others and to be an example of God's love for the rest of humanity. This includes what we say to non-Christians. We are to speak the words of grace to everyone. See, speech that lacks grace, according to the Bible, is considered corrupt. You just need to look at Ephesians, um, Ephesians 5.29. Speech that lacks grace is corrupt. Rather, instead of that, we are to speak, have speech that is flavored with salt. That is, it's not, it's not empty, dull, or flat but is thought-provoking and worthwhile. You know, if you, if, you, if you look at that verse in Ephesians, you realize that, that there's no such thing as small talk. When you talk about the weather, even that is an opportunity to point to who actually controls the weather. But how often do I do that? I mean, it, it, the, the convicting thing about this is I can't remember the last time I had a conversation with an unbeliever where I actually used Jesus' name in the conversation. That's how assimilated uh, I have become in this culture. See, salt is a seasoning. It's a way to make what is otherwise dull conversation interesting. And salt is also a metaphor that points to eternity. Salt is a way of, because salt is a way of preserving food. So what he's saying here is that our speech should be pointing to eternity. And the last phrase, that you may know how to answer each person. What's interesting here is that he uses the singular in this, in this, in this, in this phrase. He says, so that each individual one of us know how to talk to each individual person that we, that we contact. He's making a reference to one-to-one -to -one conversations. You know, it's... Um, see, we are supposed to... I mean, the best way to do this, we are to listen to someone's personal stories of need. Because that might be an opportunity for us to be prepared and respond with our personal stories of grace. And this also runs counter to what I think was, a, was probably happening in Colossians with, the, um, uh, with some of the false teachers. Because the tendency to think is that the teachers have all this knowledge. So if you really want somebody to know about faith, 
you need to go talk to one of the teachers. You even hear that sometimes in the church culture. Yeah, if you really want to know about Jesus, you need to go talk to the pastor because they've got the education, they've got the experience. No, 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 no. This is one-on-one. Everybody can tell their stories of grace. Stories of grace. Now, for some things, yeah, you probably need to talk to somebody that, that has got some more experience, but in conversation with, with, with other people, this is supposed to be one-on-one. We're not waiting for the professionals to come. Again, the Lord wants everyone to hear the gospel, and every Christian should be prepared to tell that story. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to ask um, Brittany Gressa to come up. I've got a couple of questions I'm going to ask her, and because um, she and I were talking about this topic earlier this week, and I thought she had some rather, rather interesting answers to these questions. <laughs> oh, great. So, <laughs> so Brittany, how does Seattle culture affect your speech about Jesus? Well, uh, I was born and raised in this area. Um, I um, worked in downtown Seattle and lived in the U District for about six years. Um, And I would say, having spent so much time (laughs) among our own, um, you hear things, you learn things, what to talk about, what not to talk about. Um, I was working at uh, Jean Moraes Hair Salon in downtown Seattle, and it was awesome, but um, I kind of felt like there was a general sense of you don't, well, one, I was told not to talk about religion, not to talk about politics, not to talk about certain other things, and um, the religion one, I was like, well, what, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, just felt a sense of pressure not to mention it um, because, you know, it might impose on other people and their face. And, um, uh, yeah, I didn't always obey that rule. <laughs> but um, basically just a, an overall sense of um, um, you can't talk in um, religious ways um, and it, it made me fearful honestly um, I was thinking about Paul in Acts 7 17, 17 I think yeah and how he um, observed uh, the culture that he was in. He was in Athens, I believe. And uh, he was looking around at all the idols that the culture was worshiping, and he was really distressed about it. And so he, um, he was able to speak into that. Um, and I wanted to know how I can speak into my own culture from what I know about Jesus, and, um, yeah. Okay, all right. So, another question. Okay. Tell us how, tell us about how you worked out the shame you felt when you wanted to talk about Jesus. Yeah. Um, So, for one, uh, it took me a, a long time to even figure out why I was feeling shame, uh, 
I would feel shame because I felt like I, um, like I would, I feel like, I would feel bad if I didn't talk to somebody about Jesus when I knew I should have, when the Spirit was convicting me. Um, and I felt shame when I, um, uh, that I felt like I could not actually live up to um, what I was saying about Jesus in my own life. Uh, that was scary for me. Um, and I felt like I kind of had to have all my ducks in a row and know all the answers to all the questions that people had about Jesus. Um, and uh, I just remembered reading a verse of Romans 1.16, which says, um, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And that was a super convicting verse for me to hear. And I was just like, why do I feel this way? Um, But I realized I was making it all about myself and um, my fears and um, what people would think of me. Or um, uh, it also held me to a higher standard, I felt. Um, But... I basically had to go back to the fundamentals of it and be like, okay, what is the gospel? What is it that I believe? And I started remembering God was bringing to mind, you know, ways in which, you know, I'm not the same as what I was. (laughs) Like, um, my 16-year-old self is a far different person than I am now. And it's because of Jesus and um, so many opportunities that he's given me. And um, it's just incredible. Like, I'm free from a lot of the burdens that I I could have. I I can not have a spirit of timidity and shyness. I can be bold. I can be brave. because of Jesus and what he has done for me. Um, and so it was just kind of repeating the gospel to myself. And I was able to remind myself of just how awesome he is and how much he has changed me. And I just became a lot more thankful. Mm-hmm. So thankful. Mm-hmm. So how does, thank, how does being thankful Uh, affect your sharing of the gospel now? Well, when you're thankful for something, you're more likely to talk about it. (laughs) Uh, When you're... um, I was thinking about how uh, I didn't even make it into the college that I ended up going to for four years. Like, I got the rejection letter and everything. And um, through various avenues... um, God got me in, essentially. (laughs) And it was something I was truly very thankful for. And I talked about it to a lot of people. I was like, I didn't make it in, and yet here I am. And it was just such a 
an incredible thing, and um, I wanted to praise God for it, and I talked about it a lot, and um, when you know um, where you could have been or where you would have been without Jesus, you're so much more likely to, to praise God, to think thank him for what he has done. Um, me and my friend would often talk about, like, where do you think you'd be if you didn't know Jesus? And I've thought about that question a lot. And um, I, I'm so grateful. <laughs> um, yeah, could have been real bad. So um, just really... In that way, I can rejoice in my weaknesses and because um, it makes God look really, really strong. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. mm-hmm. Well, very good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks you for your openness and sharing. <laughs> Did you pick up on that? You know, she was doing what Colossians talks about earlier putting off shame and guilt and putting on Christ in thankfulness. That was the key. Putting off the old, earthly, sinful, putting on Christ. See, part of the, this is part of, it was mentioned last week, this is how the gospel functionally affects every area of our lives. That includes what we think about. That includes how we deal with, with, with shame and guilt and other things and fear. That includes what happens when we're talking to somebody that might not be friendly to what we have to say. This is how we should shape and engage the world around us, as Luis mentioned last week. See, someone shared the gospel with us. That's how we got here, right? Somebody did it to us. That is what brought us into the kingdom of God. And what the Lord's asking is take every opportunity you get. Go after those opportunities to share it with somebody else. I really like what, how the sermon ended last week with something very practical in this area, so I'm just going to repeat it. Every morning when you get up, pray for an opportunity. Ask God to give you an opportunity. And then at night, when you get ready to go to bed, pray that the Lord would show you opportunities that you missed so that you become more sensitive to when he is providing these kinds of opportunities. So I'm going I'm to pray for us. And then, Ben, you can go ahead and come up. And we will continue to worship the Lord in communion. Just note that it's a little different this morning just because we're trying to avoid anything that might communicate viruses, even though it's, it's just a good, wise precaution. So the communion thing is up here. There's small little um, capsules. that got wine and bread in them. You just take one back to your seat and open it up, and you can enjoy communion. And again, communion is that time where if the Lord has spoken to you today in anything that I've said, tell him about it. If there's sin, confess it. And remember that 
The blood and the wine was representative of Christ's death on the cross, his bleeding out for our sins, that we might be forgiven. So, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, your word to us, and thank you for just how you, you are here. You meet us every day when we, when we gather. In Christ's name, amen.